0: Good evening and welcome to our Bible study series. We are continuing a series that we've started in the Epistle of 2 Peter, and we're calling this entire study Growing in Grace and Truth. And we've come to the start of chapter 2, which is a rather lengthy chapter where Peter addresses the problem of false prophets and false teachers. And we've done quite a lot of background work, uh, first in the Old Testament, and then in our last session we started to look in the New Testament. And if you've been with us throughout, I think you're seeing this is a major uh, subject in the Bible. And for those of you that are just joining us, these Bible studies, both the notes and the audio recordings, are available at our church website, new-life-ministries.org, and you can listen in each Wednesday at 7.30, either by telephone or directly through the internet at MixLR, and we can give you more information on that. Uh, Last time we saw that Jesus and the apostles throughout the New Testament give a number of warnings about this problem of false prophets and false teachers. And you can find something in almost all of the books of the New Testament addressing this subject. So it's not a minor problem. It's not something that most of us will never have to deal with or confront. Quite to the contrary, it seems to be a very widespread common, regular occurrence from the first century onwards. We might think that the early church was perfect, and they had all of the original apostles, and surely they didn't have any problems with deceptions or false prophets or false apostles, but just the opposite. We find they had numerous problems already, even in John and Peter and Paul's day. So, We obviously, in the 21st century, should not expect to be exempt from these same kinds of things. Uh, Jesus repeatedly warned, watch out for false prophets, there will be many of them, and sadly, he also predicted that they would deceive many. And our purpose in this portion of this study is to arm ourselves with truth, so that we hopefully can discern truth from error, false from the true, and not be deceived. And we are undoubtedly living in the last days, and there are special promises, prophecies, and predictions of a great proliferation of delusions and deceptions and false religions in these last times. So I think it's very important that we take our time, and I realize this is rather tedious, but I think it's important to see just how much of the New Testament is devoted to this subject. Paul wrote about it in many of his letters. John wrote about it in all three of his epistles. Peter, of course, we're going to eventually come back to Second Peter 2 and see that the entire second chapter and even portions of the third and final chapter deal with this kind of a problem. So it's widespread. It's something that uh, a great deal of Scripture is devoted to, both in the Old and in the New Testaments. And we want to start right in uh, where we left off last time, looking at various New Testament warnings. And we are now looking through some of the epistles of Paul and then we will come back to John and eventually end up back at 2 Peter to see what Peter has to say about this subject. In 2 Thessalonians 2, there's a very interesting passage of Scripture that can show us some of the problems they were already having in the early church in Paul's day. You know, sometimes I think we make almost a a demigod out of Paul, that he was some sort of a superhuman or superman kind of an apostle, but he was flesh and blood just like you and me, and they had the same kinds of problems in his churches that we have in our churches, and this was a rather bizarre situation, which We're not given all of the details, but we're given enough, I think, that we can kind of fill in the blanks. And as you know, the Thessalonians received two letters that we know of from Paul, and in both of them, there are numerous references to the rapture, the last days, to the tribulation, to the Antichrist. They were quite well versed in end times teaching. And this might surprise us that they had a problem of this magnitude in a church that had received direct apostolic teaching on these topics. So picking it up here in Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 1, we'll read down to verse 3. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. If you are following along in the written outline for this study, we are actually now on page 18 of those notes, point number 10, 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 3. Now, The Thessalonians knew very well that Jesus Christ was coming back again. They understood, uh, and you can learn this from the first epistle, they understood the rapture, how both the dead in Christ and even a group of living believers would be caught up to the heavens to meet Jesus in the air, and that immediately thereafter there would be this dark time called the day of the Lord. Well, it seems from verse 2, Paul is telling them not to be unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. I think this is a fascinating portion of scripture for a number of reasons, not the least of which is there were already problems in the church at this time with false prophets, imposters, even false apostles writing epistles and letters to the churches, reporting various things, including prophecies and other events that were false, and It's apparent that the Thessalonian church had received some sort of a letter, perhaps it was an epistle written by a so-called apostle, saying, sorry guys, you missed the rapture, the day of the Lord has already come. And for those that believe that the day of the Lord is going to come before The rapture, or perhaps that the rapture is going to occur in the middle of that tribulation period, this scripture is rather difficult to interpret. Because why would they be alarmed, or why would Paul have to calm them down and tell them not to be unsettled or alarmed, if indeed they needed to endure half or all of the tribulation? before Jesus Christ would be coming back for them. Common sense tells us the only way to understand this whole event is in the following way. They had received some false report saying, we're already in the day of the Lord. They understood what that meant, that we were now already in the tribulation period, and that Jesus Christ had already come for his bride. In other words, the Thessalonians are now believing they missed the rapture, they've been left behind, and they have to endure either three and a half or possibly seven years of tribulation. Well, Paul says, I'm writing to you concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and are being gathered to him. Don't be alarmed. Don't be worried, don't be upset by these false reports that you have received. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. So they were already having these kinds of letters, false prophecies, false reports being spread around in the various churches for which Paul had to write this epistle, and correct this error, and warn them, look, the day of the Lord hasn't come yet, the the rapture has not taken place yet, don't let anyone deceive you, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction, he's referring, of course, to the Antichrist, And Paul is saying, look, we're not there yet. The Antichrist hasn't been revealed because the rapture hasn't taken place and we're not yet in the day of the Lord. Our main purpose tonight in looking at this is to see the prevalence of false things that were already circulating around in the churches. Some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us. So, apparently, it had Paul's signature falsely attached to it, and these people were quite upset when they received this letter, supposedly, from Paul. But it wasn't. It was a deception, it was some sort of a fake imposter that was trying to bring trouble to the church. And let me just interject here, if you start with the book of Acts and go right through to the book of Revelation, in almost every book of the New Testament, there is some reference, some warning about troublemakers, deceivers, imposters, false teachers, false prophets. It's quite amazing when you realize how much of the New Testament, deals with these kinds of problems. So as I said at the beginning tonight, this is not some obscure thing that might happen in some little church in the corner of a country in Africa somewhere. This is everywhere. False prophets, false teachers, deceptions are everywhere, and they're coming more and more and more in these last days. Moving on to 1 Timothy. 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul has a lot to say to young Timothy about this problem. As he's training and strengthening Timothy in his ministry, he obviously had to prepare him and equip him to be able to discern and refute all kinds of false and deceiving things that he would no doubt uh, come in contact with. So in 1 Timothy 1, starting with verse 3 down to verse 7, we read the first of a number of these. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. So we can see clearly from verse 3, they already had a problem with false teachers in Ephesus. And as Paul is writing to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, he says, Stay there so that you can command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer. Obviously, they were teaching false doctrines. They were false teachers. And they were expounding all kinds of myths and endless genealogies. Uh, All kinds of strange things were circulating already in Paul and Timothy's time. He says in verse 6, Some have wandered away from these, from the sound doctrines that Paul had taught them. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about. We're going to see this over and over, and I'm going to wait till we actually get to 2 Peter 2 to go into more depth on this. But the origin of false prophets and false teachers is very clearly laid out for us in the scriptures. They start out in the church. They start out in the faith, but they wander away from or depart from the faith. They abandon the faith, they leave the truth, and then they go off on some tangent. And it's important to understand this. They don't start off in error. They start off in truth, in sound doctrine, but for a variety of reasons, as it says here, they wander away. And in the next passage, we're going to find a stronger term, they abandon the right way. And that's what we will learn clearly in Second Peter chapter 2. These false teachers and false prophets start out with us. They start out in the assembly of the saints, but for a variety of reasons, they begin to go off in different directions, and they always want to take others with them. They're not content to go off alone. They like to bring others along in their deception, and that's how they become teachers of false doctrines, um, it's it's strange, but they just want company. They want to bring others into their falsehoods, into their myths, into their uh, strange teachings, and thus they become, whether they wanted to initially or not, they become deceivers. They become agents of deception. While we're here in First Timothy. Let's move on to chapter 4. Here again, Paul is warning young Timothy of what kinds of things to expect in his ministry. 1 Timothy 4, from verse 1 to 3. The Spirit clearly says that in these later times, and let me just interject, if Paul and Timothy in the first century were living in the later times, Where, my friends, does that put us? I think we're in the final hour of the later times. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, has clearly warned us to be on the lookout for all these things. Especially in these last days. Number one, a group who will abandon the faith. They will leave the sound doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ and follow deceiving spirits. King James says, and doctrines of devils. Here it says, things taught by demons. Mm-hmm. This opens up another uh, insight into false prophets and false teachers that we saw in one passage in the Old Testament where lying spirits actually uh, took control of false prophets and inspired them to give their lying false prophecies. So there are definitely demonic spirits demonic forces involved in false teachers, in false prophets. And this group that Paul is referring to, they abandon the faith, they are actually deceived by demons, they follow deceiving spirits, they're hearing voices, they're receiving revelations, they're seeing visions, but not from God, These are coming from deceiving spirits, and they're being taught things by demons. We are are hopefully being taught by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when we receive the Spirit, he's called the Spirit of Truth. He will lead us and guide us into all truth. John says we have received an anointing that will teach us. That's the Holy Spirit. You and I should pray every day, Holy Spirit, teach me, lead me, and guide me into all truth. Direct me away from any and every false doctrine, false revelation, false prophecy, false dream, false anything. But notice again, these people that Paul refers to who abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits, and things taught by demons, they're not content to be alone in their deception. They become teachers of these deceptions. Verse 2, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, And we can see from verse 3, these are people that are in positions of authority to teach others, to exhort others, to even forbid others. They forbid people to marry, obviously teaching that there's some higher spiritual value if you don't marry, and if you do marry, something terrible is going to happen to you, perhaps you've even committed a sin. So they were forbidding people to marry, and even ordering them to abstain from certain foods. And it's amazing how many Christians can fall for these things. They sound very spiritual, even super spiritual, even ultra spiritual. That, wow, I can really get close to God if I do these things. It's a lie. It's a deception. And let me go back again to verse 2, where we gain a little more insight, and this is something we're going to study more carefully when we come, ultimately, to 2 Peter 2. False teachers and false prophets, as I mentioned, they start out in the faith, but for a variety of reasons, they abandon the faith they leave the right way, and they wander off. Verse 2 gives us some more insight. These are hypocrites. They're hypocritical liars. And their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. What does that mean? It means that God had repeatedly been trying to communicate with them to convict their conscience of certain sins, certain wrong patterns, attitudes, behaviors in their life. But if you go on resisting the Holy Spirit, if you continue to sin, even against your own conscience, it eventually becomes seared as with a hot iron. And what that means is, the conscience begins to lose its sensitivity until finally if you have a finger or a portion of your skin that is badly seared with an iron, it actually kills all the nerve endings in the skin and you no longer have any feeling there. And it's actually a very dangerous condition because if you get cut or if you get burned again, you can't even feel it. So there's no longer any feeling in the conscience because it's been repeatedly pricked by the Holy Spirit but refused to yield and repent. And the only other recourse is to be a hypocrite. We begin to cover over our sin. We begin to put on masks and fake being a Christian when, in reality, we're living in sin, we're going deeper and deeper into sin, and thereby we have to begin to both live a lie and tell lies. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. And we're going to see in Second Peter 2 that false prophets, eventually, they begin to lie. About things. Their prophecies are lies. Their teachings are lies. Their testimonies are lies. They are hypocrites and therefore they lie to others. They deceive and they're being deceived. It's like a two edged sword of deception that's at work here. And I think you can see from verse 3. That even though these people have abandoned the faith, they're still operating within the church. They're still functioning in some kind of a public ministry because they're teaching other people. And verse 3 again, they're forbidding people to do certain things. Forbidding them to marry and even ordering them to abstain from certain foods. You know, I was looking at a false prophet who's quite widely known, has a lot of books and a lot of things that you can find on the Internet, and basically he's taken the dietary uh, prohibitions from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 11, the so-called clean and unclean foods, and he's brought that into New Testament Christianity. And he's basically forbidding Christians to eat shrimp or crabs or any of the other so-called unclean foods that are listed there in Leviticus 11. Basically what he's doing is trying to bring Christians back into bondage to the Old Covenant dietary kosher laws. When Here Paul is saying, all foods have been created by God, and there's no longer any prohibition on what we can or can't eat based on the Bible. Now, you may want to avoid eating shrimp, that's fine, for dietary reasons, but it shouldn't be for spiritual reasons. These people were actually ordering Christians to abstain from, from certain foods saying God commands you not to eat that kind of a food. God commands you you can't eat pork because that's an unclean meat. Well the New Testament is very clear that all foods are sanctified by God through prayer and when we receive them with Thanksgiving we can eat them. Now I'm not a dietary expert, It may not be a good idea to live off of shrimp and pork, but there's not a prohibition that we can now be teaching in the church to Christians. That's what these people were doing, forbidding people to marry and ordering them to abstain from certain foods. And by extension, we can kind of understand that they were teaching some kind of a higher life will lead you to a higher spiritual life if you uh, abstain from marriage and abstain from certain so-called unclean foods. Only problem is, these teachers had abandoned the faith, they were being deluded by demons, and the things that they were teaching, they had learned from demons. They were following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. This is a very strong warning to all of us that there are false doctrines floating around that have actually been inspired and taught by demonic spirits. And as always, we have to test things against the Word of God. If it doesn't line up with the scriptures, reject it. It's false. It's not worthy of our attention. One more passage while we're here. In 2 Timothy, First and 2 Timothy, Paul makes mention of these kinds of problems, and there's much more we could read. I'm just picking out parts of it. In 2 Timothy 4, let's turn our attention now to verses 3 and 4. Paul, again, writing to Timothy, he says, The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. And I probably should have mentioned, the word doctrine is kind of a scary word. All it means is teaching. Time is going to come when men, obviously we're talking about Christians, men and women within the church, so-called Christians, who will not put up with sound teaching. They're not going to want to hear sound, wholesome teaching from the Word of God. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them, not a few, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now here again, we come across this dynamic that we saw in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Jeremiah, where you can't really put 100% of the blame on the false prophet. About 50% of the blame lies with the listeners. Something's happened in their heart, where they want to hear something false. Um, and we can see here that Paul predicts, and trust me, we are in this time now. We're seeing this wholesale in the Christian realm today. Time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. I like that phrase, will not put up with it. They find it offensive. It gets on their nerves. We don't like hearing this kind of teaching. We, we're not going to tolerate this, this kind of message anymore. We want to find something that's a little more pleasing to our ears. We want to find something that is more in line with what we like. And if you and I want to make the Word of God fit with what we like, uh, please hear me tonight, we're in danger. We're in very serious danger if we're looking for ways to make the Word of God match our desires. It should be the other way around. The Word of God is going to challenge our thoughts, our motives, our desires, and those need to change and come in conformity with the Word of God not the other way around. But this group of people that is growing by the day in our world today, they don't want to put up with sound doctrine. Listen carefully to these words. Instead, to suit their own desires. These are people who are being led, who are being controlled by their own desires. They will gather around them a great number, please note that, a great number of teachers. Although it doesn't specifically use the word, these are false teachers. So, just picking out the main thought from this portion, Paul is confirming what Peter says in 2 Peter 2.1. There are going to be a great number of of false teachers in the last days. Why? Because people want it. People want to be deceived. Um, Let me go back to a scripture that we studied in Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. I'm departing from my notes here for a minute, so give me a second. Jeremiah 5 and... It's verse 30 30 and 31. Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31. A horrible and shocking thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority. Now that's one half of the equation. There are going to be false prophets. There are going to be priests, prophets, pastors, leaders who are on a power trip, and they want to rule over other people by their own authority. But the other half of the equation is equally horrible and shocking. Jeremiah says, And my people love it this way. You have false prophets prophesying lies. You have priests who are ruling by their own authority. Obviously, that's all wrong. But the people love it like that. We like this. We want false prophets. We want people to abuse us and to usurp authority over us. This was a strange thing going on in Jeremiah's day and it's no different in Paul's day and it's no different in our day. They had plenty of false prophets and false teachers ready to go to work. All they needed was people who wanted to listen to them. And as Paul states here, there were obviously many who were tired of hearing the truth. They no longer were able to put up with sound doctrine. And so they gather around them. Notice they take the initiative to seek out these false teachers, these peddlers of deception, they gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Tell us things that we like to hear. It may not be true, but just tell us things that we want to hear. And you look around the landscape of the church in the world today, and you see such a proliferation of error and deception. We have numerous, large, so-called homosexual churches, led by homosexual and lesbian pastors, congregations of people who are living in homosexual sin, and they're lifting their hands praising the Lord, and they believe that they're all going to heaven, and they've been accepted by God just the way they are in their homosexuality, and they're taught week in and week out that God created them that way. They should celebrate their homosexuality, and they shouldn't in any way, shape, or form feel that they need to repent Or stop doing that. They're good just the way they are. And they're going up in the rapture. And God is going to receive them with open arms. As gays and lesbians. And they want to hear that message. So now there's a great number of gay and lesbian so-called pastors. Who teach what they want to hear. The whole thing is deception. The whole thing is deception. The teachers... And the listeners bear the, the, the brunt of the fault. Why? The listeners want to be deceived. They don't want sound doctrine. They don't want to hear sound teachings from the scriptures that say, that is sin, it's vile, it's shameful, you need to repent. There's power in the blood of Jesus. You can be changed. You can be transformed. You can come out of darkness in the marvelous light and begin to live free of sexual immorality and distortion and perversion. But no, they don't want that. Instead, they gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. My question to you tonight, is if we are in the last days, and I think you agree we are, then there must be a great number of these folks. That's what Paul said. There will be a great number of teachers who are saying what people want to hear. Where are they? Are you and I able to identify this great number of false teachers? Have we come to a level of discernment where if we hear them on the radio or on the television, are we able to discern that what they are teaching is false. It is not according to sound doctrine. Just because they're on Christian TV, or Christian radio, or they've written numerous Christian books that are in the Christian bookstore, means nothing at all to me. You need to listen carefully to the message, and listen to the Holy Spirit inside you. The Holy Spirit always bears witness with the truth, and when you and I are hearing something false, there's a little alarm that starts to go off inside your spirit, and you begin to feel uneasy and uncomfortable, and if you listen very carefully, you can almost hear the Holy Spirit saying, no, 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 this is not true, this is not true, this is not true. But if we sear our conscience and we begin to live a lie and become hypocrites, we're in danger of falling into this trap where we don't want to hear sound teaching, sound preaching. We would rather click on the radio or the television or go someplace where we're going to hear sweet messages that tickle our ears. Notice. A great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. you and I must not fall into this snare where we decide what we want to hear, and maybe we go to church and there's a there's a searing message that convicts us and makes us feel very uncomfortable, and we know we're doing wrong we know. Whatever the message is pointing out, we've got it in our life, and we have to make a choice. Either I'm going to change, or I'm going to harden my heart. And sadly, many people, after a few messages like that, they say, you know, I don't like this church. I don't like what they preach here. They make me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to go to a church where I feel nice, and I never feel uncomfortable, They never get on my case. I never feel like I'm being confronted with things in my life that are wrong. Not to mention the fact that you're never going to grow if you're not changing, if you're not being confronted with areas of your life where change is needed. I don't know about anybody else on this phone or participating in this Bible study tonight, but I've been a Christian for 40 years, and God is getting on my case every day about something. There's a continual dealing of God in your life where he's going deeper and deeper. Maybe not with outward acts of sin, but then he starts to deal with your motives. Maybe even you're doing a very spiritual thing like lifting your hands and singing real loud in church on Sunday. And the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on pride, saying you're doing that just because you want other people to see how spiritual you are. And so you have to deal with pride, self-centeredness, and it never stops. He keeps dealing with you, and you can come to a place where you don't want to put up with it anymore. I'm tired of being convicted. I'm tired of hearing things that make me a little uncomfortable, so I'm going to find somebody who will say what my itching ears want to hear. This is why there is so much deception in the world today. My people love it this way, as Jeremiah says. You and I should make a decision right now, if we haven't already, to love the truth. Whether it hurts or not, whether it costs us or not, buy the truth and sell it not, the Bible says. Truth isn't always pleasant to the ear. God never promised he's always going to tickle our ears when he speaks to us. Sometimes his messages come like fire, like a hammer. They break us to pieces. They, they convict us. That's good. That's good. That can lead us to repentance, and that can lead us to change and transformation. Let's switch around a little bit, and we're going to actually come back to 1st and 2nd Timothy again, but look in 3rd John for a minute. We've already looked at the first two epistles of John, and in both of them, he addresses this problem of deceivers. And, by the way, I might have you notice both Paul, John, Peter, all of them at the end of their lives. 2nd Timothy was written at the end of Paul's life. 3rd John was toward the end of John's life, and 2 Peter, which we are studying, we've gotten a little away from it, but we're going to come back to it. 2 Peter, we've been seeing already, was written at the very end of Peter's life. I don't think it's any coincidence that all three of these great apostles, Peter, John, and Paul, at the very end of their life, are talking about deceptions False prophets and false teachers. It was very prevalent in their day, and it was something they wanted to make sure they left with the next generation of believers before they departed. 3 John verses 9 and 10. There's just one chapter in 3 John. 3 John verses 9 and 10. John says, I wrote to the church. But Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us, not satisfied with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He also stops those who want to do so, and puts them out of the church. Now, we don't know too much else about this diatrophies, but he must have been a pastor, a bishop, someone with a great deal of authority in the church. How do we know that? He was putting people out of the church. You can't do that if you don't have any authority. Furthermore, he was refusing to welcome even some of the apostles, and other brothers, and stopping those who wanted to welcome them. So this man had a great deal of power and authority in the church. I quite believe he was some sort of a bishop over a number of churches. What do we know about diatrophies? Well, he loves to be first. He had a real problem. He had a problem with ego. He had a problem with pride. And he was abusing his position, his power, and his authority in the church. And John had already written to the church about this situation. But this Diotrephes continued to do the same things. And now he won't even have anything to do with Paul and the other apostles. Note this. I wrote to the church but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. Well, if he didn't want to have any fellowship with Paul and the other apostles, that should tell us something's very, very wrong in this man's life. Nevertheless, he's still in a position of authority in the church. Just because somebody's a bishop, overseer, the president of the worldwide apostolic Ministry of Corinth, or wherever, doesn't mean a hill of beans. They may still be dead wrong. They may be full of pride. They may be abusing both their position and their authority. There was something very, very evil about this man Diotrephes. But he was still obviously feared, venerated, And he had control of many, many people's lives, maybe even many, many churches. If I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. He was saying all kinds of crap about Paul, about the other apostles. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. I have had direct dealings in my lifetime with several diatrophies, and I understand exactly what John was dealing with. It is quite possible for a person to eventually be placed in a position of great authority. They have a title of such and such and such and such and they actually have control of a number of people's lives and even a number of churches to the point that they can decide who's in and who's out. And not content with that, they gossip, they slander the people that they want to keep out. Even true apostles, even true pastors, bishops, and believers. Beware of diatrophies. Beware of of these kinds of people who abuse and misuse their position and their authority to further their own cause and who are on an ego trip. Diatrophes loves to be first. Who knows? Maybe in one of his visits, John had detected some pride in Diatrophes, pulled him aside, and warned him Look, brother, you know, you need to humble yourself. Um, We are servant leaders, we're not over the church, we are actually under the church. You know, I had a very refreshing meeting with a man of God recently that I would consider to be a true apostle. There are many, many pastors, bishops, leaders, and churches that are under this man's oversight. He visits them regularly, not only in the U.S., but in a number of other nations in the continent of Africa and other places. Uh, He has a very extensive ministry, many many years of sound Christian work. And he was recently asked on one of his visits um, by another so-called apostle in that region, he was asked, how many churches are you over? His answer was very interesting. He said, none. And this other apostle was quite amazed. You're not over any churches? Well, I'm over 65 churches. And he he pulled out his flow chart and showed him all the pastors and all the churches that were under his authority. Oh, I'm over 65 churches. You're not over any churches? You must not be an apostle. His answer was very interesting. I'm not over any churches. I'm under many churches. Do you see the difference That's the correct understanding of a true apostle. He's not there to be first, to exercise his authority, to lord it over people and have control over churches and pastors and people. It's to be a servant under those churches. Diatrophes was a far cry from that. He loved to be first. He chose who was allowed in the church who wasn't allowed, he gossiped about anybody that he didn't like, including John and the other apostles. I think I got Paul and John mixed up here. Um, Previously, I kept saying Paul. It's not Paul, it's John. So he was saying all kinds of garbage about John rejecting him as an apostle, and even others who were working with him. Be careful, Beware of modern diatrophies. They're around, and you can recognize them quite simply by this one line. They love to be first. They will have it no other way. Okay, shift gears back to Timothy. And I can see we're not even going to be able to finish this in our session tonight, but let's quickly finish up a couple of passages in 1st and 2nd Timothy, and I want you to see how much Paul wrote about this in his two epistles to Timothy. Back to 1st Timothy 1, verses 19 and 20, and you're going to see clearly in these passages, as we mentioned earlier, false teachers, false prophets, these so-called troublemakers in the early church, they had started out in the faith, started out in the church, abandoned the faith, wandered from the faith, left the true path, and gone down some crooked road. 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20. Timothy, hold on to faith and a good conscience. Remember the importance of the conscience. If it gets seared, you can be deceived. Hold on to faith, hold on to a good conscience. Some have rejected these They've rejected faith, and they've rejected a good conscience. Well, so what? Well, it has consequences. And so, they have shipwrecked their faith. You can't shipwreck something if you're not in the water. So, they were in faith, and they shipwrecked their faith. They rejected faith, they rejected the importance of keeping a good, clean, clear conscience. They became hypocritical liars, and they shipwrecked their faith. We don't like to do this in our modern church settings, but Paul had to do it on occasion. He mentioned these people by name. John did it in the previous scripture. He mentioned diatrophies by name. Sometimes these people have to be pointed out because they're such uh, a poison to the church. Verse 20, Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Wow, that's strong stuff. Hymenaeus is mentioned again in his second letter. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 16-18, to Avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They were in the truth, they were in the faith, but they shipwrecked it. They wandered away from it. What are they saying now? They're saying that the resurrection has already taken place, meaning the rapture, the resurrection of the saints. They were teaching false things that were troubling the believers, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. Second Timothy 4, verses 14 and 15. Another name is mentioned. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposed our message. So, stopping here for tonight, I think you can see there were a number of problems, even in the first century church, in churches that had been founded by Paul, by John, and we're certainly going to see this when we come back to Peter. Many problems, many myths, false doctrines, people following deceiving spirits, many people who had started out in the church but wandered away from the faith, left sound doctrine, wanting to hear some strange message that suited their own lusts and their own carnalities, and then they began to destroy the faith of others. That's why these people are so serious. If if they were just destroying themselves, it would be one thing. But inevitably, they want to drag many down with them. And they can deceive many, many people because it all them. They're not just all the leaders in the church, they're just leaders. Their teachers, their preachers, their pastors, teacher, and their go and they want to leave as many as they can into a care deception. So, as we've been seeing, we need to be on our guard. Be on your guard against him, because he strongly opposes our message. Let's pray tonight that in our day. We can be firmly rooted and grounded in the truth that we would have a love for truth, no matter how much hurt for truth we would not want it. To would gather around ourselves false teachers who are just going to say with our itching ears were to hear, us, but rather we would want to hear the truth. Or we would love the truth, embrace the truth, of, and to be able to recognize instantly. Anything that's erroneous, false, or deceptive. False. Let's pray. Father God, we know that we're in the last days of God. No, You have warned us repeatedly have in the New Testament, both in through your son and even through the apostles who founded the church to watch out. to be on our guard. Be discerning to Check everything out against the Word of God and to listen carefully to the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that every one of us would be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And God, when your spirits convicts our conscience, that we would be quick to repent, would quick to agree with you, rather than harden our hearts and allow our conscience to become seared and actually be endangered of becoming hypocritical liars. Come, Lord, I pray, pray that you would soften our hearts, grant each one of us repentance, grant that we might turn from anything that is not of the truth. And Lord, your Holy Spirit, would lead us, Lord, and guide us into all truth. God, we pray for any Christians, God, who are even lending us here, to false teachings, to deception that God, you would open their eyes, uh, open their ears to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, them out of satric, deception and darkness, into the light and into the truth of your Holy Word. You, Father, we thank you and we praise you that you are always here, working in our hearts and lives. And you will complete uh, the good work which you have started. Bless you that you and everyone participates participating in this Bible study tonight in Jesus' precious name, e. A.